0: Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. What was I going to say, (laughs) Tim? Research by missiologists is saying this. In the last 20 years, there have been more Muslim converts to Christianity in the last 20 years, than in the last 1,400 years combined. So two things you need to take away. One, this is a harvest moment. And we appreciate Seacoast putting some funds into this harvest time. Number two is, it is triggering intense spiritual warfare and pushback. And the only thing that you can do to fight spiritual warfare is engage in prayer warfare. And so we really covet prayer. And I, I don't mean that just in the nice way of Christians ask to pray. This is serious. This is serious. Well, let's shift t- subjects. <clears throat> and let's talk about uh, grief and loss. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, I appreciate you the fellowship that we've had the last few weeks as I've been trying to rethink this material to share with this group of people and what you've been showing me and some fresh things in my own heart. Thank you. I ask you now, Holy Spirit, to, to give me a special anointing to not abuse your word in any way, but to, to simply be the tour guide walking with this family of people as we open the, uh, the guidebook of your scripture and reflect on what it's like to be in the valley of the shadow of death and Holy Spirit I ask for a special anointing for me but Lord really I need your Holy Spirit to do something I could never even begin to touch and that is I need you Spirit of the living God to uh, be with the ears of the listeners and to drill straight into their hearts with the truth the comfort the grace, the confession, the mercy, whatever you have as a word for each person here this morning, I ask you to do your work for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I'm going to go ahead and tell you the big point of the sermon <clears throat> in case we don't get all through all those, uh, what is it, seven or eight points in the notes. And I didn't give any blanks because I knew that I was going to have to move quickly and so uh, you'll at least have something there to work from in some scripture. But, uh, so I'm just saying that to say, I'm not hung up on the notes, okay? All right. But uh, we will follow that outline as we can. But here's the bottom line. Our life is filled with losses. And all losses need to be grieved for us to remain healthy emotionally. All losses need to be grieved. Second big idea We cannot stop our life from changing. And all change always brings loss. All change always brings loss. And all losses must be grieved. What that means is is that everyone here this morning, either on a minor level of maybe you had a flat tire on your way to work this week, that was a loss, That had to be grieved, but that might have only taken you 30 minutes after you got out and kicked the tire a few times. To the fact that many of us have deep losses going on in our life right now. I reflected just over the last three years of the journey for me and Pandora and uh, just uh, noted down a few losses because again, I'm trying to stress the idea not for you to pay that much attention to my losses, But for you to hear, all losses must be grieved. We'll talk about how. These are the last three years. I was laid off from a job I thought I would have for at least eight more years. We uh, sold our home that we had been working on a room at a time, updating it from the 70s. New roof, new windows, new insulation, uh, new HVAC, all the way down to new bathrooms, new kitchen, I didn't even, when we had to sell that house, I did not even try to add up what we had spent on it. But I figure we probably had put twice <laughs> what well, we paid for that house twice and uh, the sweat equity as well. And uh, <clears throat> my closest friend in this world and mentor, who very seriously had a notebook with our family picture in it that he wanted updated every couple of years, And he would open that notebook every morning. Had several pictures in that photo album. And he prayed for us every day for over 40 years. And he died three years ago. My mom died last November. Who was the believer who sort of first took me to church. Yeah. And now we've had to sell the home place and empty out the house and sell everything. And my dad, I've seen my dad decline. And he's in a nursing home now. But when I go and sit with him and I'm still able some days to get him out of his wheelchair into the car. And we go to the cemetery and do some different things. He loves strawberry milkshakes from Steak and Shake. And he's also the one who taught me that Waffle House is a great place to eat. <laughs> so thankful they're everywhere. And that they never close. But I've watched my dad decline. And not only did he lose his wife of over 60 plus years. But then he lost his house he had worked for and finally gotten paid off. He lost cars and he was a car collector with antiques and stuff that I grew up working on. All been sold. So I saw my dad show me, model for me. He's modeling for me consistently courage. Grieving takes courage. To face the loss. To name the loss. To let go of what is lost. And to keep living. Did you catch that? Grieving is to face it. Name it. Let go of it. And keep living. My dad's been reminding me. How true each of those steps are. And how hard they are. He told me one of the times on the phone recently. Maybe two months ago. When he just had turned uh, 87. And he can't really be out of the nursing home for any length of time. His care needs are just very high. But you know what he was grieving that day? The fact that our home here at Myrtle Beach is the first home we've ever lived in in 43 years of marriage that he's not seen and part of that house and helped me do stuff at the house. And uh, he was wondering if there was any way he could come to Myrtle Beach to visit. That's grief and loss. Now, who created grief? Who created grief? If you look in Genesis 6-6, the first time grieving is mentioned in the Bible, it says this in Genesis 6-6. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. It grieved him to his heart. That translation says his heart was deeply troubled, but it's the Hebrew word for grieved. Do you get that? God grieves. God created that capacity. We're made in His image. We're made to be able to grieve. And notice what God's grieving. It's not a physical death. God is grieving relational. His children that He had created going nuts with sin and destruction, bad choices. They're breaking their relationship with him. There's very deep disappointment of the lost potential of his creation. The peak of his creation. Man and woman made to bear his image are now crazy rebellious prodigals. And God grieves that. Matter of fact, the whole work of Christ was in response to God's grieving. God's saying, this is awful. I don't want the world this way. I don't like the world this way. This was not what I intended. It's interesting to me. That's the very first occurrence of grieving in the Bible. Because we tend to, medically, when we hear the word grief or lament, which is the words and the feelings and how you communicate grieving, or we say mourning, which is the, the picture of people joining with you in that sadness. We mourn together Is a deep sadness. They're very closely related. You can almost use them as synonyms. Grief, lament, mourn. But there's just shadows of difference between them. But the very first time that shows up in scripture. It's God doing it. That should encourage us. Now why would God give us something like the capacity to grieve? If you believe in evolution. You would say wait a minute. We've been doing this stuff for thousands or maybe even, according to evolutionists, millions of years. Why don't we just say, well, you die, you die. Or life's hard, things don't always work out. We just keep going. Why do we have to grieve? Why do we have to bury stuff? Why do we have to say goodbye to stuff? Why do we build pyramids that we've had a chance to see? Why do we build the the um, terracotta soldiers in the middle of China that we've had a chance to see. It was because a, a hope in some kind of an afterlife There was something beyond the grave and there was something that we were trying to preserve that we had lost. The riches and the things of this life were trying to be preserved. Somehow, we resist loss. There is something in us that resists the losses Of this life. And we say it shouldn't be this way. Now the reason God gave us grieving. Is that to grieve a loss. Is to use a coping skill that God made in us and given us. So that we can live and survive in a world that's infected. With change and decay and death. We're told in Genesis 3 toward the end of that chapter that God planted angels at the edge of the garden to prevent Adam and Eve from coming back into the garden and eating of the tree of life and living forever. It's not that God didn't want us to live forever. He did not want us to live forever in a world of death and decay. You see, there's one thing worse than death and loss, and that would be to live in a world where there's not death and loss. And Adolf Hitler would still be walking around. And every other evil person you can think of. And even some of us here can be pretty doggone evil. And how we abuse kids or raise kids or do things with our spouses or betray spouses. What if there was never any death? Is that the world you want to live in? How evil and dark would that world be? And so it was a very much a redemptive act. For God to say, until Jesus comes back and the kingdom is established, and He says over and over again, I'm going to make all things new, until the kingdom comes, grieving allows us to survive in this world. Now, number three, grieving is essential to make it in this world, but it's also temporary. It's also temporary. Look at this passage in Revelation 21, 3 through 5. I'm driving the guys nuts back there in the booth. They're grieving losses right now. (laughs) Revelation 21, 3 through 5. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. What do you say? And death shall be no more. Come on now. Man, I tell you. I need to take all of y'all to Egypt. Get you around some of those Sudanese and South Sudanese. Right now, they'd be standing up and cheering and dancing. I love preaching to the Sudanese. Even this old white boy can dance. (laughs) Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Phew. Seated on the throne. Behold, I am making all things new. Yes. So, grieving is like a spiritual discipline. Grieving is like praying or studying your Bible. Grieving is a spiritual discipline. It's a means of grace. But it's a temporary means of grace. Like witnessing. You realize that once the kingdom comes, you're not going to be doing evangelism. This is a, a, a brief spiritual discipline that you practice now in this world with this opportunity. Same thing with grieving. We learn how to grieve. We practice it. But all the griefs, let's go to the chart, guys. Can you put up the chart? All types of grief. This is in your worship handout as well. I worked on this with one of my professors when I did a doctorate on leadership, Archibald Hart. And so Archibald Hart sort of signed off on this because I'm not a, you know, I'm not a licensed counselor or anything like that, medical doctor. So we go through all kinds of losses. There are concrete losses, like when I lost my job or you lose a house Or you lose a marriage. But there's also abstract losses. Years ago, one of my best friends, a counselor there in Columbia, became the president of a a missions ministry in Colorado Springs. Now, I, I served on his board and we continued to stay connected. But there was something that changed from sitting in the coffee shop once or twice a week and hanging out together. That was no longer possible. So it was an abstract loss. It was a loss of love and of connectedness and the opportunity for that support and presence. There are necessary losses. Aren't you thrilled, some of you whiteheads like me, aren't you thrilled when your children become independent and they move out and they don't move back? Yeah, that's necessary. I loved it when my son got married and he married. Man, I got the sweetest greatest daughter-in-law out of that deal but I also lost something I lost in those days my racquetball partner my backpacking buddy the guy that I used to read theological books with and discuss them so it was a necessary loss but there's also unnecessarily stupid losses I was going to meet with my mentor that I mentioned who died and he lived downtown Columbia. And I'm driving down through. And I, I'm a stickler. My wife's been in public schools 36 years. I'm a stickler on school zone stuff. Man, I I will just in a moment throw a curse on somebody speeding through a school zone. <clears throat> you know, those precatory prayers in the Psalms. Guess who got a speeding ticket in a school zone? Yeah, first ticket I'd had, I don't know, at least probably... 20, 25, Pandora don't say. But it was a long time between tickets. But there's also, losses can be real. They can be imagined. I was out speaking one weekend, about seven or eight hours from Columbia, and uh, doing consulting at a church up in Virginia. And I get a call from my medical doctor, who's never called me in my whole life, saying, um... You know that test you did the other day? Yeah. Uh, I need you back in here right now. And I said, I'm eight hours away up in Virginia. I need you here Monday morning at 7 o'clock. Okay. That test was like way off the charts. You could seriously have serious cancer. You need to get in here. Don't, you know, your doctor calls you that on I think it was a Saturday morning and I still had to be there at that church until Sunday afternoon and then drive back to Columbia seven or eight hours and think about it. It was imagined in my mind what this could mean. Turned out probably the test tube was dirty. Everything was fine. I don't know. There are permanent losses. There are ongoing losses like dementia and and, uh, living on the post side of divorce. The death of a marriage can create more grief and loss than the physical death of a spouse because it just keeps ripping the scab off. It just keeps ripping the wound off. There are good losses. There are foolish losses. Even forgiveness needs to be a grief process. Listen to this quote. I do not believe it's possible to truly forgive another person from the heart Until we allow ourselves to feel the pain of what was lost. People who say that it is simply an act of the will. Do not understand grieving. So grieving is part of the forgiveness journey. So all change results in losses. And all losses must be grieved. Now, grieving does have a goal. Grieving does have a goal. Just like all other spiritual disciplines, it's a means to an end. I'll give you an example. I think we'll probably most of us here in this church have, we've learned by now that studying your Bible on a regular basis, if not every day, at least several times a week, really feeding your own soul with the Scripture. The goal is not just to check off that you did your Bible reading that day. The whole purpose of studying the Bible is for God's truth to do surgery on us and to work its truth in and out and through us into every aspect of our life. We pray and we're not just checking off that we prayed so that we'll have brownie points with God. No. No. Prayer is simply the means that God has said that's how I'm going to accomplish my work on this planet is as you pray. Well, it's the same thing with grieving. Grieving's not just something you do to endure and check it off. No. But the goal of grieving, picture that whatever you've lost, you've got in your hands, okay? You can just picture it right there. Then what I have to do, the goal in my grieving is to be able to let the pain and the sadness of that. As appropriate for that level of loss. To come up out of my soul. Come out here into my hands. And even hold my hands up before God. And through a process of sadness and grieving. I reach a point where I can say goodbye to it. And I know that whatever it is I've lost. I'll never have it again exactly like it was. The friendship may continue. But after Steve moved to Colorado, the friendship was different. And I had to say goodbye to our friendship in Columbia. And then be before God with empty hands. And let God redeem and show grace and mercy into my empty hands and give me something else. The widow of my closest friend and mentor, I've watched her grieve now during the last three years. And there was a dramatic change that happened with her. About January of this year. Two and a half years. Into the grieving a 15 year marriage. Uh, It was their second marriage. But they, they had wonderful 15 years together. And so I've seen Deb in the last six years. As she was before God. Grieving. And then once she said goodbye. And said I'll never have that relationship with Robertson again. Then now she's been before God with empty hands. And God's given her a neat adventure. And she's living in Melbourne, Australia, where one of her children and some of her grandkids live. And uh, it's just exciting when we talk with her uh, to hear what all God's doing in her life through this process. So the goal of grieving is saying goodbye and my hands being empty before God. If we do not grieve, we're standing before God with our fists clenched around whatever we've lost. And God can't put anything in a clenched fist. So we actually shut down the gift of grace and the gift of mercy and the redemption he wants to give us in that loss if we don't say goodbye. Does that make sense? How do we help those in a season of grief? How do we help those in a season of grief? Part of that's the reason that Pandora and I have become more and more have attached ourselves to this body. When we first moved to Myrtle Beach, we visited a different church every Sunday and was trying to really get to know some of the church here. And I've you know, been doing church consulting for about 20 years, over 850 congregations in, in 15, over 15 countries, and then doing coaching with Christian leaders for about 15 years and have now coached about 300 leaders. So we had sort of things we were looking for. I'll tell just this real quick story. Years and years ago, there was a very famous preacher. uh, He's dead now, but uh, some of you who are familiar with great preachers of the 20th century would remember the South African who came and lived most of his life in the States. He pastored a large church in New York City called Calvary Baptist Church. His name was Stephen Olford. And Dr. Olford was considered like the prince of preachers. You know, his preaching books and how to preach were used in most seminaries. And I can remember one day after chapel. When Dr. Olford had spoken. All these little you know like the gurus. And, the, and the, what do you call them? The, the fans were all crowded around. They were all these seminary boys. Who wanted to be great preachers. And they're just all gathered around Dr. Olford. And he was this little short guy. With real white hair combed you know back and stuff. And so I'm just I was his guide. I was his MC for the day. So I'm trying to get him to his next thing. But these young guys there. And finally one of them. They were shouting questions at him. And he would turn and give the little answers. And this one guy said. So Dr. Olford. What do we really need to do to be a great minister? And he just stopped. And he paused not a second. And he turned around. And he pointed right into the chest of that young man. And he said. Wet eyes. Bent knees. Broken heart. And then he turned and he walked out of the chapel, and the guys were all standing there stunned because they would expected to get some great tip, you know, on how to preach great. That's not just words that I saw reflected in Tim's life in ministry. When we visited here, when I started meeting with him as part of that small group, I said, This is a guy who knows that really ministry is about a bent knee a broken heart, and wet eyes. I want to be around that. But, I've met a few of you, not too many, because we've not been in small groups and stuff yet. We've been doing some other small group stuff. But, we have met some of you, and some of you actually have prayed for us back here in the back. One Sunday, I came forward and asked for prayer, and three or four of you guys came up and prayed over us. And see, when Olford said that, that's not just the pattern for ministry, for the, paid staff and leaders. All of you are ministers. All of you are ministers. And you all carry the grace of God. And you see, grieving is part of that process where you enter into a season where God gives you a chance to have a broken heart, a wet eyes, and bent knees. And out of that, God brings tremendous spiritual anointing and growth. And he works in your heart at a much deeper level Than he could ever work without those seasons of grieving. One writer put it this way. I don't want to follow a leader unless he's a leader who has a limp. That helps me because I limp around all the time. (laughs) So I feel like hey I'm good. (laughs) That just mine's from detached tendons not anything else. Finally let's grieve with hope. I gave you two scripture passages, guys. Can we throw the first Thessalonians four verse up? "Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. You see, everybody in mankind, he says, grieves. It's built into being in the image of God in a fallen world. Everybody grieves. But he says, I want you to be different because you're redeemed people. I want you to grieve with hope. I want you to grieve with hope. That when you say goodbye to it, it's not lost forever. So then jump, if you would, to the John 11 passage. Now, the story in John 11 is the story of Lazarus getting sick and then dying. He was in the grave for several days when Jesus shows up. And the first person he encounters is, is Lazarus' sister, Martha. And Martha and Jesus had this brief conversation before Jesus goes to the tomb and raises Lazarus. And so Jesus asks her a question. She's grieving. She's in her mourning and her sadness. Later, we're told Jesus weeps and enters into that grieving and mourning with her and her sister Mary and some of the family. But let's just read this. Uh, I'm going to read a little bit ahead of where you are there, I think. Okay. So let me read it in the context. So Martha said to Jesus in verse 21 of John 11, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha says to him, I know. He'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. In other words, when the kingdom comes, I'll see Lazarus again. And Jesus says, it's not connected to an event, Martha. He says this, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? In other words, how can you grieve with hope? We grieve with hope because our life and our hope and our grief is not attached to some future event of the return of Jesus. But instead, Jesus is saying, look to me. Earlier, you took communion. We took communion together. What's the focus? Jesus says, I am the broken bread. I am the cup, and I'm not going to drink it again until I drink it with you in the kingdom. But the focus is not on the kingdom. The focus is on the king. Our hope is not that God's going to keep to his calendar and his timeline, and he's going to wake up one morning and say, oh, look what's on my to-do list today. I'm the, the kingdom's going to come. No. He says, it's in me. Your hope is in a person. Who raised from the dead. He is our hope. Jesus is your hope. Life's not just about a future event. It's about the person of Jesus. And even now as you grieve. All the changes. And all the losses. You can cry out to Jesus. And say as I say goodbye. Jesus you be my hope. Meet me by your Holy Spirit. With redeeming grace. Put something redeeming in my hands that will hold me until you, the King, come and make all things new. Tim, you come and close this place.
1: Thank you, Roy. Father, thank you so much for your grace and your presence in time of need. Thank you that maybe that loss that we're feeling even now, Lord, and the grieving that we sense right now is that perfect place for your presence. A perfect moment of your love. A perfect excruciatingly painful place of your power, your comfort, and your hope, Lord. I pray now that in this room that Roy was describing taking that loss and that grief and maybe even forgiveness in our hands and then offering it up to you, Lord, that there would be those in this room even now that'd see that in their lives. Here it is. Here it is. I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna release it. Even now. The Holy Spirit come and empower and lead. Help us grieve well, Lord. Grieve well, for there will be one day, there will be one day when all grieving is gone. Yes, amen. Thank you, Lord. Before we leave, too, I want to say this as we're still praying. Roy, put the focus on our hope with a capital H, who is Jesus Christ. So many of us in this room have placed our lives in the hands of Jesus. We have placed our losses in the hands of Jesus. We have placed our questions. We have placed our hurt. But we have also placed our hope in Him. And today, if you have not done that, if you have not reached out to a Savior who gave himself for you and continues to talk to the Father about you and calls you and wants to inhabit every part of your life, then he's as close as you saying to him, Lord, this morning, Savior, Jesus.
0: Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And you can learn more about us by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you need prayer, you can call us or email care at seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel called to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or text any amount to 84321 and follow the prompts.